0: Beloved, if you have God's holy word, and I pray that you do, and if you don't, there's a a pew copy there for you in your um, pew. Um, If you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Let's fear and strive to enter God's rest. Let us fear and strive to enter God's rest. Today the author continues to unpack for us Psalm 95 uh, that he's addressing there to his readers who are struggling, who are vacillating, who are considering going back and abandoning Christ and going back to Moses and back to the Old Covenant. Last week we saw this concern uh, given by the author to exhort those who are listening to be on guard against unbelieving hearts. Lest they too fall away, like the unbelieving generation there in Exodus who heard the word of God, who saw the wonderful works of God, and yet hardened their heart. Like hardened soil that the seed falls upon, and the birds soon come and take it away, that word did not lead to repentance. It did not lead to Sabbath rest. And today we saw that Canaan, or rather last week we saw as well that Canaan is a, a typological rest. It's a picture of, of the rest that yet remains, that pointed to something beyond itself, to the rest that we will have in the, the new heavens and new earth in Jesus Christ. And here in chapter 4, the, the preacher calls them to, to learn from Israel's bad example He puts before them this bad example of those who heard the word but who did not believe and therefore did not enter God's rest. And he calls us to fear, right? Isn't that amazing that that God the Holy Spirit would would call the church to fear, right? Mr. Hutton has prayed that we would fear no man, but we would fear God, right? The worst that men can do is kill the body, But rather fear him who, once the body is dead, can cast your soul into hell. The word of God is sober in its admonitions regarding these things. That we as the church in the wilderness, we as the church this side of Canaan, on this side of the Jordan, have not entered into that rest, that rest that yet remains, that Canaan was a type of, that we must strive And how do we strive? By exhorting each other daily, as we saw, that perseverance is a team sport, that I am my brother's keeper, and that you are my keeper and I am your keeper, and we are to exhort each other daily, while it's called today, that we might not fail to enter God's rest. Well, today we're going to be looking at, again, chapter 4, 1 through 11, now, The text here is very complex, and I'm going to exhort you to put on your thinking caps and follow the logic and the argument that the preacher is making. This text in the Greek is some of the most difficult in all of the Word of God. But I believe we can do it. I need you to pray for me. I exhorted you last week to do that, to pray for me. Pray as I preach. This is not just data dump. Right? I just don't master some data Monday through Saturday, then come in here and just dump it on you. No. This is the living God coming and confronting us, disciplining us, in the best sense of that word, that we might be straightened out, that we might be orthodox, that we might be sound. Sound as those solid joys and lasting treasures that we are going to inherit. That the people of God are sound. That we are the city on the hill with the salt of the earth. Within us is the kingdom of God. That we might not be tossed to and fro as the world, right? Who hears the feather fall in the street? Oh, No, no, no. My God is king. Our God is king. We need not fear. We can be like the righteous. We can go into the street when the lion is there and cry out with David as he did toward Goliath, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against the armies of the living God? You see, we're brave. We're courageous. We're not impressive in ourselves, we're weak in ourselves, but in Him who loved us and gave Himself for us, I can do all things, all things, through Him who loved me and gave Himself for me, you see. In Christ, all things are possible. So let's go before this holy word and hear it. I'd like to begin in chapter 3, 16, picking up on this rhetoric, these rhetorical questions that the preacher is giving there to the congregation, Trying to pull it out of them, the great truths of what God's saying about the dangers of falling away. Verse sixteen of chapter three. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by and led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see, we see, I see, we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. He goes on in chapter 4, drawing out the implication. Notice what he says. Therefore... What's the application for us? While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, let us be afraid, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened, i.e. they were not united to Caleb and Joshua and Moses who believed. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, Psalm ninety-five eleven. They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David in Psalm 95, so long afterward, in these words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive, endeavor, Go hard after. Make haste to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The disobedience of the wilderness who heard and yet did not believe. Who saw but did not see. Let him and her who has ears Let them hear what the Spirit says, not said, says, present tense, today. Let's ask God to bless. Our God, we come before you, longing to meet with you. Longing to have you come and try us and to search us and see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us to Jesus Christ, the one in whom is the Lord of the Sabbath, the one in whom is the rest of God incarnate, the one who has gone away for a season to prepare a place for us. For in your Father's house, Lord Jesus, there are many mansions, but you go away, but you will come again, and you have yet not left us as orphans even now, that we can cry, Abba, Father, knowing that you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. We, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more will you give the Spirit? Give the spirit, Lord Jesus Christ, give the spirit, bless the weak efforts of myself, make much of Jesus, Holy Spirit, through my words and the meditation of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today is God's word. Today is the day of salvation. It, is apply, it applies as much to our present day as it did to those first readers there in Hebrews. Just as it did in David's day in Psalm 95 and just as it did to that Exodus generation under Moses. Today is the day when the promise of salvation, the promise to enter God's rest still remains. It still stands open and it's available for all who believe and continue to believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to take a moment to further unpack for you and explore this this theme of rest. What does it mean, particularly as it relates to the book of Hebrews? We're going to see it all the way from Genesis to Revelation. I know that's rather daunting, but it is a massive concept. It is hugely important that we understand what this rest is, how we enter into this rest, and who is the Lord of the rest, who is the one who has secured it for us through his faithfulness, through his active and passive obedience. So in the book of Hebrews, this concept or this theme of rest certainly includes the notion of a place it's a, a, a destiny, a, a destination for the people of God. What do I mean? Well, in chapter 11, verse 10, it's called "a city that has foundations." <laughs> a city." As Newton wrote so wonderfully in the hymn on Psalm 46. Hebrews 11:14, it's called a, a homeland, a homeland. Hebrews eleven sixteen. 16, it's a, a better country. Hebrews 12, it's the city of the living God. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews 12, 28, it's, it's called the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hebrews 13, 14, it's the city to come. And while it has a future orientation as a place, a destination. It also includes this idea of a state of being. According to chapter 4, verse 3 of Hebrews that we've read, we who believed enter that rest. Now that is in the present tense. The the future blessings promised by God are real to us now through faith in Jesus Christ, right? The, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the sealing work of the Holy Spirit that gives us that grand assurance that Pastor Pritchard spoke of this morning. The gift of the forgiveness of sins. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, in whom the Lord will count no iniquity, Psalm 32, that Paul quotes there in Romans 4. The gift of the imputation of righteousness, that it's alien, as we've spoken of already, that I don't have to secure it, I don't have to work for it. It's, it's a gift, it's freely given for those who ask. You see, all of these things we've partaken of, even now, the gift of sanctification, right? The, the fact that I am at war with sin, that sin is odious to me, I hate sin, I hate sin in myself. I hate sin in the world. I hate it wherever it's found. I, I hate that which is contrary, which is antithetical to my Father in heaven. You see, we hate these things. But you see, all of this is because we have a taste of this sabbatismos, this Sabbath that yet remains, is yet present. It has an already not yet component to it. Listen to Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come unto me. <laughs> All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't it interesting? God doesn't call us to a philosophy. He calls us to himself. He doesn't call us to a system of doctrine that will attend it. Yes. <laughs> but he calls us to himself. Come unto me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, there's a present tense reality to it. Like salvation itself, John 5, 24, Very truly I say unto you, Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me already has eternal life. So there's this already aspect to this salvation and to this rest that God gives. Here in Hebrews 4, the author's primary concern is that we learn from the the catastrophic mistake of those who who left Egypt, went into the wilderness, and did not believe. Who, who died in the wilderness, failing to enter God's rest. Failing to enter God's peace, His forgiveness. All because of unbelief. The Holy Spirit wants us to know that the opportunity to enter God's rest still stands today. As I said before, today is God's word for us. Are you believing today? Well, I believe Wednesday. Well, no, that's not what I'm asking. Are you believing right now in this sermon as you hear the word of God expounded? Are you believing the word? Are you endeavoring to believe the word? Am I believing it as I'm preaching it? In verse 1, while this call to enter God's rest in its fullest sense remains, the preacher tells us, and he calls us there. Notice what he says. Fear, lest any in the congregation should fail to reach it. Chapter 3, verse 12, we were called to guard against an unbelieving heart. And here we're called to fear. Phobias, we're to fear it. We're to see those dead bodies there in the wilderness. And we're to go, (laughs) I don't want that. We're, we're to fear it like, like, like a mountain climber. Like, May is the month of climbing Everest. 29,029 feet. Who would be so crazy to try to ascend something like that? But every year, people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to do just that. And many of them don't make it. But I'll guarantee you one thing. That when they leave base camp there at 12,000 feet before they go to the first camp and the second and the third and then to the summit, you know what they're doing all the time? They're checking their gear. Is it safe? Is it going to get me where I need to get to? They have a proper fear. They have a healthy respect. Respect. For the task, the goal that's before them. A fear that's locked in on what's required to finish the Christian life, like Harry Reader. Like Dr. Keller. They finished. well, Church. They finished. Said that Tim longed to see Jesus. So he told his son, I want to see Jesus. It's really simple, doesn't it? Not simplistic, but simple and sublime. He's beholding his Savior now because he finished, because he endeavored, because he feared. Because he knew what was his own heart left to himself. The plague that was in the heart of all the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. He knows. He knew. Just like Dr. Reeder. They were faithful to remind us of that plague in our own heart. And faithful to point us to consider him who was faithful unto the finish line for us. whom the Father looked upon as he ascended into heaven. This is my son, and I am well pleased with him. Well done, good and faithful son. That's what's at stake here. That's what's at stake every Sabbath day, every every Lord's day. It's nothing less than your soul. And what's more precious than your soul? There's nothing more precious to God than your soul. Verse 2, he goes on to remind the congregation that, that merely hearing the good news proclaimed is not enough. Or what, he say, what does he say there? For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united to faith to those who listened. They didn't follow Caleb's example. Caleb exhorted them, we can do it. He's 85 years old, church. He's there standing in the wilderness before the people telling them, do not fear them. They're nothing but grasshoppers. They're men. They're less than vapor. They're dust in the wind. Don't fear them. But rather than heed the voice of Caleb and follow the example of Joshua, they harden their hearts. And their bodies now are lying in the wilderness there in the desert. As a testimony, exhibit A. Don't believe God's word. Test God. Doubt God's Word? Then explain those bodies. Friends, merely hearing the good news of salvation about forgiveness of sin. You love me to preach that, and I love preaching it. I love preaching the gospel. Oh, to have another Lord's Day to preach Christ. The blood, the cross, the vilest of sinner can be cleansed. And yet, if I preach it to my guts hang out of me with every tear in my tear ducts, if you do not heed it, you do not hear the voice of God and obey it, it means nothing. It's less than nothing. I take that back. It's the very word that will condemn you on the last day. It's not less than nothing in that sense. And did you notice how he he paints the portrait, Sparky, as he paints the portrait that the faith that saves is a faith that what? It obeys. It doesn't just hear it. Demons hear the name of Jesus and we're told that they shake. Faith that's saving faith, that's biblical faith, it's a faith that hears the word of God, like Samuel. I hear my father's voice. And God helping me, I'm going to obey it. If it's the last thing I do, I want to obey that voice. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, to obey your word. For obedience is greater than Sacrifice. Beware of becoming hard soil. Beware of just being a hearer of the word and not a doer. Israel saw, they heard miraculous things, but they did not believe it, and they failed to act upon it in holy fear. They hardened their hearts. Verse 3 tells us, God swore, that is, God gave an oath that they would never enter His rest. Again, we're reminded in verses 3 to 4 that God's rest is a much bigger ...than the physical land of Canaan could foreshadow and typify. Again, this this understanding of God's rest is massive. God's rest is greater than anything Moses, Joshua, David... ...or any other saint could secure. Only one greater than all of them could, could, could secure it for God's children... Interestingly, the author tells us that God's rest has been available since the conclusion of the creation week in verses 3 to 4. Notice what he says there. This is where it gets a a little thick. Hopefully I won't be thick, but clear, because you're praying even now as you hear the word, because you long to hear the word. You long to be in conformity to the word. Although God's works were finished from the foundation of the world. He has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. Isn't it interesting he is somewhere? He knows where. You know where. Genesis 2 verse 2. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And it was this rest... God's rest that God entered into at the conclusion of the creation week. That the preacher tells us in verse, verse 5 that the Exodus generation failed to enter into. And then in verses 6 to 10, the author reminds us, and I want to paraphrase it here because that's, I, I felt that was just the best way. I thought, how am I going to convey this? To you. Let me just paraphrase it. Just listen to me as I, as I put it in the vernacular of myself as a preacher expounding it for you. Since therefore God's rest remains for some to enter it, unlike Israel in the wilderness who received the good news, but failed to enter it because of unbelief, again God appoints a day. Today, saying through David in Psalm 95.7, long after the conquest of Canaan. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had been able to secure God's rest for the people, God would have not spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest. Literally, a Sabbathing rest has the idea of a, of a festival full of joy, full of mountains that flow with milk and honey. And all the, the wonderful metaphors and pictures that God paints for us in the Word of God. For the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his Right? As it says in Revelations 14, the works of the righteous shall follow them. So this week, we lost two giants in the faith in the PCA Keller, Reader. They have this, this great body of work that they've done in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they cry with the psalmist, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be the glory. Right? You secured it, God. You're like the little kid, right? It's like the little kid on Christmas. You give your child $10 so they can go and buy you the gift for Christmas. That's the way our God works. He gives you the money so you can go and secure the gift for him. He gives you the Holy Spirit so you can go perform the good works that he created for you in Christ Jesus for the foundation of the world. That he can say, well done, at the end of the day. Who's a God like this God? There's no God like this God. But they had this, this great deposit, this great body of works. And they, they, they've died, right? They died, uh, Dr. Reeder died in that tragic car accident. And then Dr. Keller the next day. Uh, cancer won the battle, but Jesus won the war. The cancer served God's purposes in bringing Dr. Keller into the presence of God to be absent of the body, to be present with the Lord. And we're told in Revelations that their good works attend them as they go. Beloved, because God's rest yet remains for us in its consummative form... For the true believer in Jesus Christ, therefore we are exalted in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that is God's Sabbath rest, secured for us by our captain Jesus Christ, so that not one of us may fail to, by the same sort of disobedience as those who fell in the wilderness. Beloved, the rest secured by Joshua and Canaan pointed to a greater rest, a greater salvation. The rest of Canaan was merely a foreshadow, but not the fulfillment. It was like the hors d'oeuvre to the meal, the appetizer that they bring it before the meal comes. That's all it was. It pointed beyond itself. It couldn't contain it. That little GPS land in Palestine called Canaan cannot hold the weight of what God's Sabbath rest entails and holds. And now the preacher is coming and he's telling us that the same exhortation to enter this rest, this grand, glorious Sabbath rest of God applies to us in our Christian lives. That we rest upon Christ alone for salvation. We, we cast our burdens upon him and he cares for us. We come to him and we find rest for our souls and yet we long for the day when our tears will be no more. When the enemies of God will finally and ultimately be silenced on that day the rest of god will come in its consummated form in all of its fullness beyond any the imagination of any man more than we could ask or think you see we long for the day when god's promised rest is brought to fulfillment in consummated glory when we will see with our eyes the city of god the heavenly jerusalem and on that day isaiah 35:10 says those the lord has rescued will return they will enter zion with singing Everlasting joy will crown their heads gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away and be no more on that day on that glorious sabbath day the sabbath rest that yet remains you see you see it's this morning this is not our experience is it we have a foretaste of it we know something of it we've tasted of the holy spirit we hear God the Spirit speaking to us. We we taste the bread and the wine, but but this is not the complete meal. But it's the weekly portion that gets us and keeps us on the road in this wilderness till we arrive into this heavenly Canaan, this glorious rest that yet remains. This is a time of trial and testing. This is not the promised land. America is not the promised land. Church, we've not arrived in the promised land. Rather, we're bound for it. We're bound for the promised land. As the hymn writer says, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wistful eye. To Canaan's fair and happy land where is where my possessions lie. All those wide, extended plains shines one eternal day. There God the Sun forever reigns and scatters night away. We look forward to it. We're not there yet. This Sabbath yet remains for the people of God. Again, although we have real and genuine blessings, this side of heaven, this side of the Jordan in this life, What we currently have is not all there is. A a greater rest, more solid joys, a a heavenly city awaits us. It awaits all the children of God. So this morning, I want to drive home the application. I hope everything I'm saying is application. Right? But I want to conclude this morning by taking a moment to reflect on whether or not, now listen, whether or not the Father has given His church a sign Has the Father given the church a memorial? A heavenly reminder of this rest that yet remains. And I'm here to tell you that He has. Every seventh day, 52 times a year, God gives you His sign of the rest. That yet remains for the children of God. In verse 4, the preacher makes the connection. Linking and expanding this idea of God's rest on the seventh day of creation week. With Israel's weekly Sabbath observance as it would be later revealed in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Six days you shall work, but the seventh day is a holy day. A holy day unto the Lord. It's the Lord's day in Christian parlance. right? It's not the Jewish Sabbath. It's the Christian Lord's day. Let me explain this. Just take a sidebar. This doesn't count towards my time. Listen. B.B. Warfield says this, and it's important. The Jewish Sabbath... Went into the tomb with the Lord of glory and came out on Sunday morning as the glorious Lord's Day morn. We're not under the law of Moses, right? But we still observe the Lord's Day. I'm going to unpack that even further as we go. But just take that little nugget. That's rich. It's rich. So, picking up on this theme of Sabbath observance. As New Testament believers under the new covenant in Jesus, the question we must ask is, what now is our relationship to Sabbath observance? Some will say, with the coming of Jesus Christ and the end of the old covenant, the weekly Sabbath observance no longer exists. The fourth commandment has been abolished. Now, there are faithful servants who come to that conclusion, I believe, wrongly. And one of them that I really respect a lot, who gives me great pause, is D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson is a phenomenal exegete of the Scriptures. D.A. Carson and others will argue that the Old Testament Sabbath, like Joshua's entry into Canaan, was a sign that points to the greater Sabbath that has already now been fulfilled in Christ. Right? It's no longer applicable. It's no longer binding. Because Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, has come. So, therefore, that which it pointed to is fulfilled. Right? Now that the reality has come, the shadow has been fulfilled. So, they argue. Right? One commentator put it this way Sabbath keeping no longer consists of observing a special day, but is achieved when the heart rests on Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. They'll quote passages like Romans 14 or Colossians 2, 16 to 17. Let me give it to you. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival, a new moon, or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So are you following their argument? Right? Right? Saints, this view is the majority of view in most evangelical churches today. The Sabbath command is exhausted with the coming of Christ and has no binding control or authority over the church or over the Christian life. Let me share with you just a couple of problems that I see just uh, the prima facie reading of it. Just very quickly. Note that God gave how many commandments? Ten he didn't give 9, he gave 10. All other nine remain enforced in the New Testament. In Matthew 5, Romans 12, Ephesians 6. Children are called to obey their parents. Their prohibitions against murder, theft, lying, blasphemy, adultery, adultery, idolatry, vain worship, all. No one would advocate doing any of those things. I would also note that we never see Jesus not obeying the fourth commandment in the gospel. I would also say that those who argue against a Christian Sabbath do so by saying that the Old Testament Sabbath was a sign pointing to something that now has come, right? And that, what has come? Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. you following my logic. Please put your hats on. This argument is the very same argument Hebrews will make regarding the Old Covenant sacrificial system. Now that Christ, the Lamb of God, has come, we're no longer under the ceremonial law, the law of Moses, right? We're not sacrificing any animals in here this morning. There's no bloodletting of anyone. There's no bulls and goats being sold outside there on shepherd. But I want you to notice this. Notice the point the author is making in verse 9 concerning the Sabbath. The reality itself, the city of God, the celestial city to which the Sabbath points has not come yet. There remains, future tense, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So saints, in other words, the weekly sign is still needed because the reality... To which the sign points, heaven itself, while we have begun to taste it, it's broken into this present evil age in Jesus Christ, it has not yet come in all of its fullness, therefore the sign still remains. Did you follow that? The Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, points us to and reminds us of what is still to come. Why? Because the promised rest and the promised land yet remains. So if the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, still stands because it points forward to the rest that yet remains, what are we to make of texts like the one I quoted from Colossians 2 in Romans 14, right? That sets up, you've got to fix that you got to square that peg. Simply this, that Paul there, I believe, is correcting those who want to prescribe the Jewish calendar and other ceremonial feast days associated with the Mosaic law as still binding on Christians in the New Testament. That while the ceremonial law has been fulfilled in Christ, the Sabbath, now listen, this is why I believe the Sabbath still stands. The Sabbath as a creation ordinance, along with work and marriage, established in Genesis 2, still remains as it points forward to God's rest that awaits all who respond in faith to Jesus Christ, as it says in verse 10. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did his. Now, I know that's a lot. I pray you followed me. I pray that I was clear enough to make the case that it still remains because it's a creation ordinance founded in God himself who entered into the Sabbath, who gave the Sabbath as a pattern of one day and seven for all of humanity, for his image bearers, to uphold and to keep. That points forward to this grand reality in the celestial city, the city whose author and builder is God, that we now yet have a foretaste but have not entered into in all of its fullness. So there's an already aspect to it and a not yet aspect to it, right? If you have any questions, you come to me and you talk with me. I'd love to talk with you, and explore more about exactly what I've stated, and maybe you have some questions that have uh, come to the fore as a result of what I've stated. But notice the application there in verse 11. Let us then, in view of this Sabbath that we've taste of but yet remains, that Israel failed to enter... Pastor included, let us strive. This word strive is make every effort, endeavor to enter that rest so that no one may fall away by the same sort of disobedience. So the question for us this morning is, how do you strive? How do you make haste? How do you endeavor to enter God's Sabbath rest that yet remains practically? First, let me give you some practical application. Get busy pursuing the rest of God. Get busy pursuing it. Make every effort to enter it. Fear lest you or anyone else at all, saints, fail to enter it. You are your brother's keeper. You have a duty. You have a responsibility to be vested in the lives of one another. We're to love one another. We're to love them all the way home. All the way across the Jordan. Oh, to love them like Christ loved them. Secondly, not only get busy, I know that sounds contradictory. Paradoxically, right? Get busy pursuing rest. Go to work to secure rest. Secondly, embrace your pilgrim status take up the mantle i'm a pilgrim that's who i am yeah i'm an american yeah okay i wore the uniform i love the country i love this country and i'm sad to see where she's going but i'm looking to another country my citizenship's in heaven ultimately that's the defining citizenship for me is the one that's in heaven So I'm going to spend more of my time, more of my resources... ...preoccupied with that city than with this city. How about you? Where are your resources this morning? Monetarily, with your time. What are you vesting in? Are you more concerned with this city or the city that is to come? Embrace your pilgrim status. This world is not our home... John 16, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. They don't need to fear the world. Right? This side of our heavenly rest, we live in a veil of tears. A, a day of trouble and trial. We should expect it. You should expect adversity. Suffering produces what? Endurance. Endurance produces what? Character. Character produces what? Hope. This is, how, this is the way God's economy works. <laughs> so if you're struggling today, you're going through a difficult time, you're bewildered, you're beside yourself, you're wondering what's Praise God. It's producing in you a hope of glory, an endurance to persevere. Right. I hear about the deaths of Dr. Reeder and Dr. Keller. You know what it does? It makes me want to preach. To preach Christ. To endure. See the character of Christ formed in me. You wouldn't come to me after the great do Who cares whether you like the sermon or not? Was I faithful? Consider him. Let us fear. Be on guard against an unbelieving heart. These are the things that we need to be consumed with. Is there a way through this veil of tears? Yes, considering him, right? Our faithful elder brother. And then thirdly, I leave you with another practical way to strive to make every effort to enter God's rest. And it's real simple. And I want you to listen to me. Every kid, every eye looking at me, because you all have eyes. I think you do. Keep the Lord's day holy. Prune the Lord's day in your life. Don't let it get encumbered with busyness, with work. The night soon cometh when no man may work. Right, You're going to be home soon. Think about 50 years, 90% of the people that are hearing my voice right now are going to be home. We're all going to be home. You're going to enter that rest. It's a precious gift. It's a delight. Call it a delight. Value it as a delight. Fathers, it begins with us. I've failed, and I don't want you to fail the way I've failed at times. Prize the Lord's Day. Treasure the Lord's Day. One a week, 52 a year, and if you live 80 years, you get 4,160 Lord's Days. That's pretty good, isn't it? Oh, to have more. Oh, to have more Lord's Days to live for Him. To preach. Pastor Nathan Trice preached here years ago. Rick knows who he is. I love Nathan Trice. He's a phenomenal preacher. He came and he spoke to us about the Lord's Day. And he gave us this illustration. And I gave it to you. Right, parents? We... We all know we're getting ready to enter into the, the vacationing season. We're going to travel. We're going to get in the minivan. And Dad's, we're going to make a thousand trips in and out of the house to fill that car with all the things that we need for all those little ones so we can go on this trip. And then we're going to get in the car. We're going to begin our journey down the road. and We're going to ride until we get to our destination. But along the way, that destination little jimmy, little susie's going to ask, are we there yet? They're going to ask that a million times. Maybe you're going to say that as well. One other thing we're going to do is periodically little jimmy, little susie's going to say daddy, I got to use the restroom. And you'll pick out your phone, your wife will hopefully you won't if you're driving. <laughs> Another piece of advice, get that phone out of your hand while you're driving. And you're going to have your wife, or uh, you're going to look it up if you're riding in the passenger seat. You're going to look for the closest rest stop. Right? So you can stop. Refresh yourself. Be encouraged. Get something to drink. Right? Take a moment just to hug your kids. Church, we're on this long journey home. Two warriors left the battlefield this week. A leader of men and Dr. Harry Reader and Dr. Keller was quite the pastor, a lover of the souls of men, quite the evangelist. You might not agree with all his theology at points, but you know what? He's a blood-bought son of God. He's beholding the face of his Savior. These two men have left the battlefield and their word to us is, Let us fear, lest we fail to enter this rest that yet remains. And we get 52 of them every year. That's what God's given you. What are you going to do with them? He's put it into your account. If he gives you another year, he's given you 52 more. Prize the Lord's day. It still stands. It's a creation ordinance. Does marriage still stand? Yes, Pastor Bullock. Marriage, yes, Pastor Bullock, it still stands. The Lord's Day still stands, not the Jewish Sabbath, but the Lord's Day, because it went into the tomb of the resurrected Lord of glory and came out and came the Lord's Day. So it's on the first day of the week, because new creation has broken in. And we're all moving to the ultimate when creation, the new creation will come in its consummative form. Let's be faithful. Let's endeavor to do this. Will you? Will you help me to endeavor to do it? Let's do it together. Let's fear lest we fail to enter. Let's consider Jesus and strive to enter his rest. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your good gifts, the Sabbath day. A choice day, one day in seven, 52 a year, 4,160 and 80 years if you give us 80 years. Rest stops along the way in this journey as we live out the Christian life in this barren wilderness, this present evil age. May we be found faithful to keep it and uphold it with joy and delight and be ruthless to guard it and protect it from hurry and from busyness and that which would detract from it and in turn detract from our love for you. Be with us now, Lord Jesus. Feed us your bread and wine. Feed us your body and blood. We pray in Christ's name, amen.